You are listening to Voice of the Blue, brought to you by the American Police Hall of Fame in Titusville, Florida. The American Police Hall of Fame. We are the keepers of the history of individual law enforcement officers that honors the fallen and supports their families. A training facility that teaches civilians how to be their own first responder that offers free tactical and strategic training for sworn officers. A great place to visit and learn. Go to aphf.org to find out more. Welcome to Voice of the Blue. I am Royce, your host, bringing you an intimate look at the men and women of the law enforcement profession through their service, their stories, their lives, and sometimes through their own words. And today is going to be through their own words day. I've got a special guest here in the studio with me, and we'll be talking to him momentarily. I happen to know the man personally. He, uh, began his service career as, as a law enforcement officer, actually, while he was in the service. And I'll let him tell you more about that in just a second. But then ended up serving with NYPD Blue. So I'd like to introduce you to Dave Canonico. Dave, welcome to the program, man. Good to have you. Good good to be here. Thank you for the invite, Royce. It's yes, my sir. pleasure. Well, my pleasure to have you here. And I um, want to talk to you about your service career a little bit. You said... You began in the service. Why don't you tell us about that first? Well, I uh, have a love for this country. I always wanted to serve in the military and also for law enforcement. So I figured I'd mesh the two careers together and start off in the Air Force doing uh, law enforcement. And uh, shortly thereafter, I got an honorable discharge and wanted to try the corrections field for the Federal Bureau of Prisons, which happened to be one of the worst jobs I've ever had. My wife, uh, she didn't know who I was because I was always working. Yeah. Um, then I went to the NYPD, uh, one of the most diverse jobs I've ever had in my life. Uh, I learned all of my knowledge from the NYPD. It was uh, Training there was second to none. Um, I went through the World Trade Center, uh, all kinds of different types of calls. Uh, and then in 2006, I transferred over to uh, Suffolk County, which was uh, a little bit better on the commute and uh, a little bit more pay. And I was able to spend a little more time with my family, which was very important to me. Well, the precincts there, what, what precinct did you work in? In Suffolk County? Suffolk. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was uh, on the east end in the 6th Precinct, which I did midnights for a total of 10 years. And. Uh, but the good thing about that was I was uh, only five minutes away from my house, um, but midnights was difficult. Um, and then I uh, ended up in the Highway Bureau for the last three years of my career. Oh, okay. So you were a, a, a state highway patrol guy? Well, we, New York State Patrol? Well, no, we were still uh, county county police. What We uh, did handle the state, uh, well, actually in, international, I'm oh, sorry, okay. the... Uh, National roads, uh, interstate I-90, uh, 495, and the Sunrise Highway, Route 27, which was a state road. 
Hmm. Well, how, is there any easy way to describe how the city is divided up into precincts? Uh, well, uh, in Suffolk County, uh, they had uh, geographical areas set up for three precincts on the north end and three precincts on the south end. And then they had a seventh precinct, which was the newest of the precincts on the east end. The Highway Bureau uh, handled basically straight down the middle on uh, 495, Interstate 495, and the uh, South Highway east to west on Route 27. Um, but uh, the geographical area was immense. Uh, I'll give you an example for the 6th Precinct that I worked in. My patrol zone alone as a single operator was a 10 by 10 mile uh, radius, so it was a uh, hundred square miles that I was responsible for. Wow! Yeah. So, how many precincts are there total there throughout New York City? In New York City, uh, I'm not sure on how many precincts there are in New York City. Uh, I, I know they're uh, they're they're spread out. There's five bureau, uh, uh, five uh, different uh, locations in uh, uh, Queens, and you have. Uh, Brooklyn, and you have uh, Manhattan. Each each uh, bureau has uh, many different precincts yeah. in it. So I didn't know uh, if there was an easy way to explain it because we always watch the cop shows, and there they talk about precincts there in New York City. And I've always been wondering uh, how exactly they divided it up, and who gets what, and what do the precincts overlap, and all that stuff, and well, a lot of other non-important, you know, stuff I like to fill my head with. Well, they they do overlap. For example, when I uh, did my time in uh, NYPD, it was in uh, a PSA, which is a police service area for housing, and that did overlap. For example, the seven three precinct, the seven five precinct, and the seven seven precinct. And uh, the best way to describe the way that the uh, precincts were. Um, were uh, divided up was uh, based on population. But if memory serves me correct, I want to say there was about 85 different precincts in all the different uh, parts of New York City. Good night, man. Yeah. That's a huge uh, place. Yeah. Uh, My word. Call volume in different areas, which is, for example, Brooklyn had a very high call, uh, call volume compared to uh, somewhere in uh, upper Manhattan. Right. Um, and different types of calls. But uh, that was a big difference with uh, the precinct areas. Small, maybe smaller in geographical area, but more dense in population and more dense in calls. Yeah. Well, you, so you uh, served uh, while you are in the military service as a police officer. I'm sure that that, ty- that type of patrolling uh, was night and day different from once you once you became a New York City cop. Absolutely. Uh, what what are some of the realities that set in <laughs> that made you realize, <laughs> hey, I'm not in Kansas anymore? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, uh, in the in the military, uh, it's it's all uh, secure areas, okay. Mm-hmm. And you you had a problem mostly with military personnel or someone that didn't belong on the base. Uh, the difference with that was with uh, the NYPD, uh, you're in open ground. There's no secure areas. Um, it's the melting pot of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have different types of calls going on at a time where uh, you had to prioritize where you're going to go. Uh, for example, uh, I can tell you many times where I had 20 calls holding. Um, and I had holding, to, in other words, holding, like stacked up and waiting. stacked up and 
we had to tell dispatch or central uh, <laughs> on to the next one, on to the next one, on to the next one. So uh, if you didn't use your common sense in which call to go to first or job, I remember calling them jobs when I was in uh, NYPD, um, you might go to the wrong job or call and uh, make a mistake that way. You had to use common sense and prioritize the right way. In the military, it wasn't like that. You had one call maybe every, I don't know, two or three days. There was mm -hmm. nothing really going on in the military. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was the uh, the most risky and dangerous part of working in your precinct in particular? What, what was what was one of some of the the common risks that you guys faced out there? Well, uh, I would have to say, with I have about twenty four years of law enforcement experience, and the commonality with all these types of jobs. Uh, was domestics. Domestics were by far the worst jobs or calls to go to. Mm -hmm. um, you never knew what you were getting into. Uh, it could be any time of the day or night. And um, the risks were always that you were going into someone else's house mm -hmm. and they are familiar with their surroundings and you're not. And you don't know what you're, you're, you're going to expect. Um, also, that's probably where you have, other than car crashes taking officers' lives, you have another big uh, issue of where officers were uh, losing their lives to domestics. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. I've heard that yeah. that was one of the most dangerous calls to be on because while you may be there to try to bring peace and everything, well, once you have to put your hands on one of them, then the other one might turn on you. And next thing you know, you're fighting uh, two people who were fighting each other, but now they're now you're the enemy, and they jump on you. That's absolutely and, correct. And I've heard a lot of that. And yes, I've heard a lot about uh, police officers. How many police officers actually lose their lives in vehicle crashes? And I guess when you think about it, all the time that you're spending in a vehicle each and every day, it's almost the law of averages, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, really, that's just. Uh, uh, Standing on the side of the road while you've got somebody pulled over. I've seen those videos where an officer gets clipped by a car who's rubbernecking the scene. You know, some guy driving by and he's trying to see what's going on. So uh, I think a lot of people don't understand all the all the dangers that uh, are faced by police officers out there. And um, what was one of, maybe some of the harshest realities that you had to come to grips with while you've been on the while you were on the job there for 24 years? Well, in, in any kind of law enforcement career field, you have to um, separate yourself from getting too uh, emotionally involved in a situation, and mm -hmm. it's to keep your head mentally sane. But uh, some things that you can never get out of your head are any crimes or things against children. Yes, I can imagine. And, um, yeah, I, and uh, that mutual, that lives with you. Our mutual friend Jim Paddock told me about some of the terrible things that uh, yes. that they that, that he witnessed. Uh, people with people that you know some of the things people did to their children, and uh, there was to some of the people that he has spoken to me about. There's some really soulless people out there. Yes, there are. And now you got to go out there and deal with them. Yes. Well, any uh, major frustrations? that were part of the job for you? Sure. Uh, I would imagine anyone listening to this would probably agree with me that a lot of times the administration was one of the worst things you had to deal with. Um, 
you the people go, at the top. Huh? Yeah, you can do your job, but there's always someone that's not satisfied with your level of performance, or if you didn't do something the way they said that had to be done, uh, that brought a lot of stress. Um, but also, uh, when you'd make an arrest, uh, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> Certain uh, district attorneys fail to prosecute, mm. or uh, you're doing paperwork, and after uh, you arrest this person, they're out on the street before you're done finishing your paperwork, and they're committing more crimes. So the frustration level in that is... Uh, it sticks with you. I bet that's pretty significant. It almost makes yeah. you wonder. It would make me wonder, why am I here? Why am I doing this job yeah. if if I'm not being supported by those above me? The that's people right. that are supposed to be my leaders uh, are not leading. They're uh, directing their own little kingdom, I guess you might say. I've, I've heard that's been one of the biggest complaints yes. uh, about the police profession when you're dealing with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, what, what, uh, what was... What did you really enjoy about the job, though? What what was it that really made you want to get up every morning, strap on that duty belt, holster your pistol, put that badge on, put your cap on, and step out into the streets? Well, uh, when I was young, I used to, uh, for example, when I first started driving, uh, I used to say, where's a cop when you need one? <laughs> All right. Man, I never see a cop. Well, one of the most satisfying things to me, even though it seems small, is uh, when I observe something going on and I said, where's a cop when you need one? Hey, I'm right here. Now I can do something. And uh, I'll use the car stop as an example. Uh, you would see something uh, blatantly uh, dangerous in a total disregard uh, of uh, traffic laws and uh, they never saw you coming. And that was a lot of uh, satisfaction to me to give somebody a, uh, a summons that really deserved it or um, a call or a job as you call it with um, someone who really needed your help and uh, you were able to make an impact on their life that was a changing impact mm -hmm. uh, I'll go back to the kids uh, sometimes and uh, uh, I don't want to go on a tangent but you would go on a call and uh, you'd have some parents who'd say oh you know little Johnny you better do what the cops say or they'll arrest you no, um, that's not the case. The cops are here to help you, and uh, little Johnny needs to see how good the cops are because mm -hmm. maybe little Johnny, when he gets older, will uh, remember his interaction with police as being uh, a uh, positive one right. and not be someone that's in our custody one day. Right. Well, not only that, um, uh, well, there's enough of that anti-cop sentiment going around. You don't need to instill that in your child when they're young, yeah. and if— uh, enough of your interactions with other people are negative right off the probably most of them are so yeah i i totally understand that it you know i've thought about that often would it be what it's like when you are as a uniformed police officer when you are denigrated by the people that you serve and not to mention if couple that with what we talked about a few minutes ago with administration not supporting you um, I don't care how mentally and emotionally strong you are. It's going to wear on you. And, and, and Am I assessing that properly? Well, um, I could say this, that uh, I used to tell this to rookies. Uh, when you come on the job, there's certain phases that you go through as a police officer. The first five years, uh, you're green. You want to save the world. Uh, between the next five or ten years, you just want to do your job and um, – 
make your money and basically stay on a straight course. And then the last five years, you can't wait to get out. You can't wait because you're burned out. And uh, you kind of see how it really is. Uh, Law enforcement's a great job. uh, But like I said before, you have to have support. And that uh, really wears you down when the administration and laws and stuff work against you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's counterproductive to law enforcement. Yes. Um, And you can't take it personally. You have to just keep your head on straight and uh, keep doing what you're told to do and uh, do the right thing. Um, I believe police work has a lot to do with integrity and uh, you have to have that when no one's watching you and do the right thing. And one of the, one of the uh, good things about law enforcement, my career was uh, I was my own boss. Um, I was able to go out and make up my own decisions and, uh, and be able to do the right thing. And I went home with a satisfied feeling for myself. I wasn't looking for praise or anything like that from anybody else. Well, that's where that sense of honor is instilled in a man when he does uh, operate according to his integrity, and that speaks volumes, Dave. I've known you for a a little while now, and you've always always carried yourself like that, too. I'm not trying to pump sunshine up your nose or anything like that. I'm just telling you, uh, that's something that carries over with you to this day. Uh, You talked about traffic stops. Um, Those are also very dangerous for police officers. Walk us through a traffic stop in New York City. You are Officer Dave Cananico, and you are pulling somebody over. What all? What are the? What are the? What's the data that you have to take in that makes you go, okay, this person's getting pulled over. Go. Well, it all starts with probable cause. Mm-hmm. You have to observe something going on to make the initial stop. But there's a uh, plethora of different things going on on a traffic stop. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's location, uh, the time of day, who you're pulling over. Uh, You don't always know who you're pulling over. They can can have uh, uh, tinted windows. You don't know how many occupants there are. You also have to keep your eye on your surroundings when you're getting out of the car, Mm -hmm. Uh, other traffic that can hit you. uh, basically, uh, you're running all the data in your computer to see if uh, anybody has been wanted. Uh, those factors come in. You're also listening to the radio to see if anybody else needs backup or anything else. So um, there's a million things you're doing in your head, all right? But the, the, the most important thing is being focused on when you approach the car and you're observing what's going on. Uh, not only for your own protection, but for everybody else's protection in the car too. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to be a trigger-happy uh, person and, and accidentally discharge a firearm when it's not necessary, but uh, always maintain uh, rule of law and, and why you pull them over and be fair and, and impartial. Um, uh, basically, uh, after that, you go back and you, you decide what you're going to do. You're going to write a summons or you're going to give them a warning. Um, but that's not always the reason you're going to pull, pull someone over is for, uh, a, a car stop, uh, uh, observing something, something else could happen where, uh, uh, maybe they match the description of somebody leaving and then it would be a different type of car stop, like a felony stop. Then things change from what I just said. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, you know, 
So, you, I imagine your adrenaline is through the roof when you get one of those. You know the person you're pulling over probably has committed a bad crime, right. and uh, they're probably not going to be real happy to see you. Right. Uh, they're probably going to uh, right. you know, probably fight you. Uh, so you, you have a very, very real chance of you know physical violence and force going on there, yes. too. So. Wow. Yeah, and uh, also one thing, too, uh, the end of a, of a pursuit, that becomes a car stop. Um, it's a whole different dynamic from uh, what they call routine, which I don't believe any car stop is a routine car stop. Grandma can still pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. But um, you always have to uh, maintain your uh, elevated awareness, let's say, with every type of stop. Yeah, so. well, that's that's a good that's a good adjective there. Elevated awareness, <laughs> it would have to be, I imagine, if you want to go home that night. Well, out of all the traffic stops, is there any one that just stands out as <laughs> the most memorable that you yeah. could ever think of? Yeah, I want to hear it. <laughs> well, uh, it, it wasn't funny. It was just so odd. I was on the Sunrise Highway, and I had someone pulled over for uh, a speeding uh, violation and. A, uh, an airplane landed on the uh, highway while <laughs> while I was uh, had this guy stopped. What did the pilot think you were pulling him over too? Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, he uh, he couldn't make it to the uh, airport, obviously, and we had to shut down the highway. And yeah, I uh, he just missed hitting the overpass. Oh my word! And um, we had to block off the traffic in both directions. And uh, it, it's weird. I remember this, but um, one of the patrolmen that uh, wanted to take over my spot i said okay i'll get the other end he ended up sub subsequently getting hit by a uh a uh a, gar a garbage truck and my uh, word and that could have been me so uh did he, did he survive way. he survived but uh he went out um he was injured and he wasn't able to do his job anymore hmm. uh Horrible, horrible what happened to him. Yeah, that, that would have been you, man. It would wow. have been me. And uh, it's just that's something that's st stuck in my head in all the years of uh, doing car stops. Yeah. Well, earlier you, you gave some advice uh, for anybody coming up in the profession, rookies, whatever. Is there any other advice you would like to uh, impart to them uh, about how to do the job and how to, how to come home? And how to make it to the end of your watch? Well, <clears throat> first off, um, a lot of the rookies, they've changed in the years since I worked. When uh, I first started, they were more receptive to um, people with experience listening to advice. Mm -hmm. Now the newer rookies, uh, they don't seem to listen. They think they know more. So oh, if boy. I had to give one single piece of advice is, Listen to your uh, experienced officers. We're here to help. We want you to go home and one piece, and we want to teach you. We're not here to uh, make us uh, make ourselves look like uh, we're uh, any better than the rookies. Right. Um, remember why you took the job. Always do the right thing, and uh, learn as much as you can. No, oh, good yeah. advice. Well, one last question, Dave. What is it that you would like for the public to understand about the law enforcement profession that you feel we just really don't understand and we should? Well, there's been such an attack on law enforcement through the media and everything else. We're human. Mm -hmm. um, we have flaws. Um, I think that 
I think that uh, basically uh, one thing that everybody has to realize with police officers that uh, we're here to help. We don't go out thinking that we're going to hurt someone. Right. Uh, or looking for a reason to. Right. We're, yeah. we're, we took the jobs because we care about our community, we care about our country, and we want to help people. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand that. They don't understand the, the camaraderie between police officers, uh, sheriff's deputies, state patrolmen, um, and it's all, everyone that I've ever talked to has the, has the same mindset towards the general public and the profession that you just described there. Well, well, I wonder if you might join me in a prayer for those who are still standing on the blue line. Would you do that with Absolutely. me, Dave? All right. Well, thanks for being the guest today. I really appreciate you, and uh, thank you for your service, and I'm honored to call you a friend. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. Well, Lord God Almighty, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask that you protect those who still stand on that blue line. Let not this day be their end of watch. May you watch over them as they watch over us. Keep your guiding hand upon them. Bring them all home safely to their families. Amen. Amen. On behalf of the American Police Hall of Fame, Dave Canonico, myself, and the producer, we thank you for joining us on this episode of Voice of the Blue. God bless you all.